Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of Seen From Above Podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your host for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. We also live on Twitter with a dedicated podcast account, at EOSeenFrom, and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. Please do follow our Twitter account. And happy Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> prove it's not an automated message. Indeed. I imagine that's your answer for a message, actually. We're talking today on the 20th of December, uh, 2018. Let me wrap up my number of launches. At the moment, Space Track is reporting 264 as of today. Uh, we had 379 last year. So we've got 11 more days. There have been quite a few more launches in this last couple of months, but I don't think we're going to get another 105. I can't do the maths. What is the maths? I don't think we're going to get another 115 this year. This is uh, another incredible year for launches. Yeah, every time you you type in 2019 into Google, 2019 in space, you get loads of, this is going to be the best year ever and and all this kind of stuff. So there's certainly a lot of positive sentiment around launching space flight, that kind of business. Hasn't Branson and his company, is it Virgin Galactic? Yeah. They've just completed a a successful test flight, is it? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, they made it up to space, didn't they? Yeah. Up to space. I was reluctant to say that. It's not very well defined, is it? They managed to get some cool video imagery. Did you see it? Was this? I didn't see. Uh... Oh right, no, I saw it on on LinkedIn. Yeah, it was really cool, actually. So they managed to do a successful flight, as far as I can tell, that took them beyond some measure of what is space. It got back down safely, which is really good news. I think this is one step closer to getting people into space tourism. I saw a website about the 10 hottest companies in satellite 2018. That's the title of the, the post. Uh, number one, I, I think it's hard to argue that SpaceX is the company to get most excited about. And, you know, Blue Origin is there, but none of these have an EO component. In fact, that's quite an interesting list because out of all of those, I mean, SpaceX heard of. Blue Origin heard of, and they're in the yeah. news again at the moment because I think this month they've got another launch coming up. And there's a brilliant little video actually that I saw online. It was just like a little summary of each one of their flights and what they were trying to do on each flight. And it's really cool. But yeah, some of these others, I suppose they're satellite operators and launches. It was interesting to me because I was expecting to see a company like Planet. Um, okay, I think the biggest news story that I've seen it actually happened, um, I think it might happen yesterday, but maybe the, the, the day before, but it's Planet has agreed to acquire Boundless. Yeah, this is really interesting. Initially, when I heard it, I was quite surprised, but actually thinking about it, it's probably a wise acquisition to make. So Boundless is one of those companies that inspired me to set up Jogger and, and go it alone, as it were, on a journey into being an independent consultant. Because just being able to see that there was a company out there that was doing geospatial stuff and it was all open source, I thought was really, really interesting. And they were sort of one of the first companies that I came across as well. It was sort of just really slick, but not in a sort of marketing and sales way, just they did good stuff. 
And the more good stuff they talked about, the more you wanted to, to find out what they were doing and what sort of software they were using and developing and making available to the community and everything else. I really hope this works out well for both Planet and for Boundless. Yeah, good luck to, to everybody in those companies. They are obviously heavily involved in the US government and commercial agricultural plants because that's why Planet bought them uh, because they want to partner and do this. I think... A bit like you, I was surprised. I don't think I was as surprised as when they bought Terabella. I'm still surprised at that. This is a big company now. Planet are a big company. I don't know when you transition from being a startup, but I was going to make the point um, in our sort of later topics that they seem to be the company that has really understood subscription is the way forward for selling data. They've got an idea and they've succeeded and been extraordinarily successful in that original mission, mission one. With that market, the pixels market being fairly mature, the, the value perhaps is in the analytics. Anyway, it, it is the biggest news story of, of potentially this year. Yeah. It was interesting to me to see an EO company, are there any other company? Let's call them an EO company, buying a GIS company. I must admit you're right about saying that it was the big story of certainly of the week and possibly of the year because when I saw you put it in the show notes I was like I should have got in quicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You pinched it. Cool so Digital Globe I'm just going to put a link to a blog post that they put out in the show notes and this blog post is called 12 Ways the World Changed in 2018 and it's certainly 12 amazingly stunning images captured by Digital Globe Technologies. And it's good in some ways just to, to go back and remember some of the cool stuff that did happen. But the one that really caught my eye was if you scroll down a bit, you get to an image of an aircraft flying across the scene and a whole raft of different white blobs behind it over the image. And it's basically part of the Russian um, military exercise that took place in Siberia in September. And it's just amazing to think that you're from space and you can see these parachutes. That's what these white blobs are, these parachutes where they're dropping various bits of kit down for the military exercise. And it's just, I don't know how, how many years I've been looking at um, satellite imagery, but it still has the potential to totally blow my mind. I mean, all the other images are amazing and they're nice in their own way, or they tell an incredible story. But this is just, I, I've never seen anything like this from a spaceborne sensor before. And I just thought this is well worth highlighting to people. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Someone's gone, oh, look. And then you looked a bit closer at it and you go, oh, oh, yeah. And a probably, you know, you rightly say, sort of initially thought, well, there might be clouds or whatever. Yeah. What's the effect right by the plane? What's that called? There is a shift in the timings of the bands. Most images, you don't appreciate that there's a sub-second delay. Yeah. So when you come to sharpen some of their spectral bands, if there's something moving, you get quite an interesting impact on that data. But not many things are moving, which might bring us around to our topic a little bit. It's <laughs> you're going to find this ridiculous, but it's a bit like that kind of badge of honour when you're working with a Sentinel-2 scene and you find you find the plane that goes across your image and like, yes, I can join that club. I've got the, the red, green and blue plane. <laughs> I'm like, hey, look, hey, guys, you know, we're working on this project and this is happening. And yeah, you know, I just want to draw your attention to that plane over there. I know I know, it's going to mess up the classification in that little bit, but don't worry. Look, at, look out, look at that, <laughs> that red, green and blue. <laughs> you need to get out more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm with you. This is, these are nice images. 
Okay, let me make my last sort of piece of news for this year about Sci-Hub. Um, they're going to process all of the data around the world to a level 2A standard. They're not going to go back in time, but from now on, they're going to distribute it. As a, okay, that's great. That's huge, isn't it? That's, yeah. I saw Synergize, uh, Sentinel Hub, talk about that first. You know, credit to them for spotting that. It's like What that did was spawn a load of tweets um, talking about it. And I refer back to the mission status report to start with. And it says, to date... We've had 197,611 users self-registered for the Copernicus Open Data Hub. With any measure, that's an extraordinary number yeah. of self-registered. I think I might have registered three times in my... Um, <laughs> so you can take two off of that total. That's kind of the thing that's never said. Because of this reprocessing, Sentinel Hub said, based on that, we've got 150,000 users. So actually, it's you know, almost 50,000 more than, than, than they're saying. Yeah. But the Copernicus EU account said the number of active users downloading products in the last quarter of the Open Access Hub is around 33,000. So while there are almost 200,000 accounts, only active are 33,000. So I put that in the news because I think it's worth saying that quite often it's easy to say there are 200,000 users where in actual fact it's probably a little bit misleading to say that in terms of percentages that's about 16 and a half percent of all registered users are coming back on a quarterly basis that openness actually means a lot so i've got a couple of news stories that i'd like to put out there one of them is about the launch of metopc which is a polar orbiting satellite that basically collects information that's used for uh, meteorological purposes. It's part of something called the Polar Orbiting Operational Environmental Satellite Project, so POSE, which is a US series of satellites. And they've been going on for about 40 years. But basically, METOPS-C is going to be the last satellite in the POSE missions, and it is going to be the last one with the AVHRR on, which is good because we're moving on to new technology. At the same time, I sort of cut my teeth on the AVHRR system. I don't know. I'm just a little bit sad that, that this is sort of coming to an end. So ISAT2 has been launched and is collecting data. And there's a, a couple of things that it's done that are nice examples of what the, uh, the LIDAR on it uh, can do. One is it's measured the ice thickness in the Weddell Sea down in Antarctica. And the other thing that it's done that I've seen some tweets on social media and things about is it's managed to capture some bathymetry over some of the, the clearer waters of the Caribbean. And again, I maybe this was something that the people who designed it knew it probably could do. But I think that has caught quite a lot of people by surprise that we were able to get bathymetry data yeah, I think that's some, some really cool stuff. And I'm really looking forward to 2019 to see more stories coming out about ISAT 2. It's like a kind of sort of sci-fi thing, isn't it? 10,000 pulses of light every second. Amazing. So I think that's it for our 2018 news. This time, we thought we'd keep it light and short. <laughs> <laughs> that's my word. Let's keep it light and short. But we're really reflecting on our predictions that we made at the beginning of this year. Back in season one, episode three, I think that was. I listened back to this podcast that we did. 
and I think my main takeaway is that we are terrible at predictions. Um, <laughs> hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, okay. my main edit this back in. I think my main takeaway is that I am terrible at predictions, <laughs> and I thought that I would just sort of quickly run through the, the sort of common things that we talked about. One of the things I said was that you know more launches, more more data, more challenges. Um, we certainly had not the number of launches, but we certainly have had on the trend another big year of launches. We talked a bit about 2018 being the year of analysis-ready data, talked about compressional formats sort of stepping up. You sort of identified this hyperspectral trend. And I, I think the other thing that, that I was going to mention is at the beginning of this year, I was quite keen on video. It was making a lot of noise back at the beginning of this year. And I'm still not much clearer on the sort of market for it as yet. Shall we kick off with video then, as we're talking yeah. about it? I agree that at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of interest in video and people were, you know, we were waiting to see what type of uh, data was would be coming from uh, Spaceborne video. And I think that the work that's been done over 2018 has been pretty sterling stuff. But I, I just thought maybe it would be with us a bit more at the end of the year and going into 2019. Well, I mean, I, I would caveat that by saying not much moves. So the movement thing may be the kind of hype side, potentially. However, I think the processing, I stand by this, I think the processing of high quality digital elevation models of urban environments has huge potential from this data. I can imagine that that is pretty hard to make. I suppose this is actually one of the issues as well, is this isn't our natural territory. So using videos or ultra high resolution DMs of urban areas. It's not really something you and I use massively in our day-to-day -day work. So the fact that we're not hugely aware of what's happening might be more down to us. The other issue here is that the video might actually become a secondary product, even though it's the one that captured the imagination. Yeah. The one thing I would add to that is that I saw the head of Orbital Insight. There's a video on YouTube. I think it's, it's a couple of years old, but they had a drone or a fixed point camera or something above a car park because one of their things is counting cars and they monitored where people were going based on where they parked and what the pattern of the cars was and you know watching cars cut across spaces and all this kind of stuff yeah really the, the conclusions are what you'd expect to be that people park close to the stores that they're wanting to go into this is the kind of stuff that you can do with high quality video I've been meaning to say this for a, a while on our podcast, but I think one of the biggest things that's happened this year, and it's been quite quiet, but Orbital Insight are now part of the Bloomberg Terminal. That's a huge thing in the world of analytics. Do you want to just explain to our listeners what the Bloomberg Terminal is? As I understand it, Bloomberg are one of the investors into Orbital Insight. Effectively, it's a terminal that basically connects information from various sources that are sort of entrenched into the, the big financial institutions. The reason I mention it is the merging of data. What a user, a financial person, definitely doesn't want is image after image after image of a car park. They want to know the trends, the, the counts, what's unusual, what the outliers, what, what's happened right. yeah. in as near to real time as possible. So one of the other things we talked about at, at the start of our predictions was analysis-ready data. How do you think we are with that? I think 2019 will be the year of analysis-ready data. 
We're getting there, definitely. I haven't heard much more about Sentinel-1 analysis ready data after a couple of posts that were earlier in the year. And that's going to be yeah. quiet. But again, it's not something I've, I've spent my, my hours of free time chasing, trying to find out what's happening. Once the Sentinel-2 becomes globally available at level two, then that will be a, a game changer for those that know what level two means. Um, yeah. Having thought about it more, I think that uh, fixating on analysis ready data is perhaps one of the things that we shouldn't do so much. I, I think that you and me stand to benefit from analysis ready data. Yes. But yeah. from a user's point of view, I think ultimately they don't care. I'm careful to sort of acknowledge that I, I first saw Stephen Ramage talking about this, but application ready data, I think, is more of interest. Is the data ready to go into an application? that's much more of interest to an end user maybe 2019 will be not just the year of analysis ready data it will be more focused on application ready data so a little bit linked to that is how we discover those analysis ready data do you think that we are in a good place at the end of 2018 in terms of data discoverability I find that question a very valid question and one that I find difficult to answer because I've just got used to the current situation. Yeah. You learn the tricks, the shortcuts. I don't think it's as accessible as it could be. In general, it probably could be easier to find certain satellites. But at the same time, the trend I've seen with the clients that I have is that they're aware of Sentinel-2. They're aware that it's openly available. And they're almost telling me that I have to use Sentinel-2 in order to do the, the application that they want. So I'm now in a position where I have to actively go on to some of these data discovery sites and search for commercial satellites or for other types of data just to keep myself in the loop as to what's out there, what the data looks like, how cloudy it is, how available it is, and, and how useful it might be to some of my clients. Because otherwise, I run the risk of just going back to the Sci-Hub all the time, downloading Sentinel-2 data, or going to Earth Explorer and downloading Landsat data. So I find that really interesting as a concept, that people have become aware that there's this really good data set out there, both Landsat and, and Sentinel-2. They're almost driving the requirements of the project. Mm, interesting. I'll, I'll throw this to you, which is to say, if it's free, open then I think people are prepared to take the steps and go through the portals or whatever. But when it's something that you pay for, I suspect they would rather just send an email saying, this is why I'm working. I need it to be like this. I need it to be this vintage. I need it to be basically as soon as possible. I need this resolution. What have you got? And you do need the experts to sort of say, what the pluses and minuses of the sensor and what are you getting for your for your money? I don't think finding data has been nailed yet. The other point that I wanted to make was what do you think is more valuable? Data, satellite drive, say, mm. training data, I acquired <laughs> or digitized non-space, yeah. or the algorithms that have been developed. My take on it is training data is the most valuable today. I would say it depends on what you're trying to do. So it's either going to be algorithm or training data, I think. If you're trying to do some form of machine learning, then training data is going to be massive 
in terms of its importance. Getting good, well-documented, open data sets for, for training that type of model, I think, is critical. So I suppose the algorithms are linked in part to the, the training data, but I think having an algorithm that you know can do a certain task and you have a robust way of measuring the error and uncertainty that comes out of the endpoint of that algorithm, then I think being able to hold on to those algorithms is a really important thing. Most of the algorithms are sort of effectively thrown over the fence from universities. The data, if it's open, is available to anybody. But the training data is something that is of the highest value. So I think the last thing on our list was hyperspectral. Yes. I said back in our predictions that it was going to be a big thing. But I also think that now we're still really looking for this. Although, that said, there's been a recent press release about Hyperscout, which was something we first mentioned back in Season 1, Episode 2, in terms of its launch. The reason it's uh, in the news at the moment is that it's creating... So, so Hyperscout is basically a small sensor that is hyperspectral, and it started to create analysis-ready data on board the satellite so that when it gets downloaded it's ready to go for analysis and i think this is right at the forefront of things and it's probably the way that things will start to go the hyperspectral thing is is definitely a, a trend that we're going to see more of that but yeah onboard processing yeah that is a step forward just from anecdotal personal evidence i've come across more people who would really benefit from hyperspectral data. So they're, they're looking for applications around crop health or, or canopy health of trees or trying to map species of trees or different vegetation in hedges, things like that. If you had access to high spatial resolution hyperspectral data, I mean, the application areas that that would open up would be huge. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how quickly this starts to, to capture the imagination and get developed. We asked the question, I think, at the end of our last predictions, are we at peak EO? And we said, not yet. Are we there now? No, not yet. No, I don't think so either. Random plucking of a prediction out of my head. But it feels like there's a, a good four or five years of, of big changes ahead of us. There's so much excitement in, around the areas of well, like you've said, data analysis, open data, open standards, um, new methods of data collection. We're only really beginning to get going. And this year has been pretty incredible in terms mm, of what's yeah. happened. Interesting times, certainly. I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that listens to this podcast. So we've been doing this for a year now, and I think it's safe to say that Andrew and I really, really enjoyed doing this and putting these, these podcasts out. We passed the amazing 10,000 downloads uh, of the podcast, and we've got nearly 250 followers on Twitter. So both Andrew and I really want to say thank you for your support this year, and hopefully we'll continue to have your support next year. If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Matt underscore Andrew. Thanks for listening to us this year. Until the next time, you can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag SeenFromAbove or the at EOSeenFrom account. Have a great break over Christmas and the New Year if you're celebrating them, and we'll be back in 2019 
when you can help us build a vibrant community around Seen From Above. That's it for now. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Good job editing that one. <laughs>